0: Hello and welcome to the business of authority. I'm Jonathan Stark,
1: and I'm Rochelle Moulton.
0: And today we're going to talk about positioning in five words.
1: <laughs> you know, I don't do five words for anything, so this will be fun.
0: <laughs> yes. For just quick housekeeping. I hope the sound is going to be okay on this episode. I'm calling from the back cave this week because I'm home with the sniffly kid. Uh, but uh, I've got my fingers crossed for our. So friends, far, so, so good. Good, good. I'll try and I'll try and keep it. Uh, Top notch. So the kickoff for this episode is that, uh, it's another follow-up uh, sort of inspired by our interview with Todd Tressiter a couple of weeks ago. Well, actually, uh, Rochelle, you were you found something on his website that kind of was the inspiration for this episode
1: yeah, I did. I mean, after we had Todd on, I just couldn't help myself. I, I started crawling all over his website, finding all these little jewels. And one of the things he talked about, and I wish I could find the exact place he did this, so we, maybe we can do that and put the URL underneath this episode. he He described something called a single client need. And he used it to describe how he himself has developed his, I'll call it an empire, I'm sure he wouldn't call it that, but his empire about mentoring um, people with their finances. And the idea is that everything that you develop, every article, every course, every book, every little piece of everything relates back to that single client need. And then it allows him to be laser focused on who he wants to attract and, and what value he wants to deliver
0: when you were saying that it reminded me very much of something i talk about a lot which is you know finding the expensive problem and you know single client need expensive problem it's just very very laser focused and lately i've been talking about this xy positioning statement which is an even easier version of laser focused positioning statement that removes half of it and just boils it down to that central value proposition that's at the core of an overall lfps and uh, so it seemed like a really good thing to talk about today.
1: Well, Jonathan, why don't you start by explaining your your X, Y, P, S?
0: Sure, so it, it's basically, like I said, minimum viable positioning statement. I find that it's helpful for folks who having a hard time figuring out a longer, more comprehensive version of a positioning statement. I usually try and work through with people is, I am a discipline who helps target market with expensive problem, unlike my competitors, unique difference. So there's four variables to solve for in there, and discipline, which is not not even close to the most important one, uh, oftentimes is the one that people get super hung up on. Should I call myself a software developer? Should I call myself a software consultant? My mm-hmm. contractor, my freelancer, <laughs> blah, 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 And uh, over the years, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, you know what, we'll figure that out later. We'll figure out your unique difference later when we know who your competitors are. You can't figure out how you're different until you know they are. And then just focus on the central piece, target market and expensive problems. So I sort of call that this XY positioning statement. I help X, that's your target market, that's your who, that's your ideal buyer, with Y. And Y, not W-H-Y, but the letter Y, like a variable, is what outcome you deliver for them, what expensive problem you solve for them. Not what you do for them, it's not copywriting, it's not write code. It's not I help teachers with writing code or I help teachers with copywriting. It's I help teachers achieve some outcome, increase their standardized testing scores of their students. Some, some outcome that the your who wants. There are different levels of focus. You can focus way, way, way down. I help um, dentists comply with GDPR on their websites like crazy, you know, so that they don't get... I help dentists avoid lawsuits on their website. You can get super, super laser focused like that, or you can go super broad, because like basically all human actions are based on like the desire to be loved and and, you know, it's basically love and fear are the two main motivators with people. So you don't want to get too broad, like I help people make more money. It's too broad to be credible. So you kind of focus up and down like with binoculars. You go more focus, less focus, until you find this central point. And you can tell you found it when you get lots of people spontaneously saying how do you do that
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's
0: th- that's the key so if you if you pick a target market your X your who and you put this idea in front of them this XY positioning statement in front of them and their reaction is how do you do that then you know you've nailed it because you're generating interest it's it's focused enough it's understandable it's credible and you're generating interest which is the whole idea you're starting a conversation.
1: It's great for cocktail parties, I have to say. I, yeah, exactly. When, when I want to have a little fun, I always use the unforgettable word in a cocktail party conversation. Because they always ask, oh, how do you do that? Yep. Yep.
0: Right. That is the point, really, is to get a conversation started. You'll find when it works, but it's not like there's this abstract right or wrong. I get a lot of people that just sit there and, and they think they can just think about it really hard and come up with something clever it's very frustrating. It takes a long time. And suddenly they land on some word salad that they feel just encompasses everything that they do and all the ways that they do it and all the people they can help and all the things they can help them with. And it ends up being this slurry of soggy, you know, silliness. (laughs) You can't even, you like and people scrunch up their face and like, what? It's not about thinking real hard. It's about talking to, to people who you want to help or people who are your ideal buyers or whatever your target market is, figuring out who that is and then talking to them and figuring out which words click with them. What is their problem? What is, what is that client need in their words?
1: Well, one way to, to do that too is, is to start with the feeling. All of us work on transformation, right? We live for client transformation. So if you can try to capture the feeling that you give your clients when you're done doing whatever you do with them. Right. If you can capture that feeling, that's the starting point. And then the words, the words depend on uh, what your ideal client is going to most respond to that ties to who you are and how you deliver. You can't f- pick fancy words because they sound good. They have to apply to you and your work. I mean, I think this is the hard part sometimes is you have to be willing to live up to whatever promise is implied in that positioning
0: I almost said that goes without saying, but it doesn't go without saying. So I get people who are like, well, this would be a good one. And they deliver one to me that does seem like a good one, certainly one that's worth testing. And then they'll be like, but I'm nervous. Well, why are you nervous? Well, because I don't know if I can deliver that. I'm like, well, pick something (laughs) that you're good at. I mean, you don't want to pick something you're not good at.
1: Well, it's also the size of the promise. I mean, because we talk a lot about big idea. And a big idea, by definition, has to be big. And the bigger, the better. Positioning has to be concrete. It has to feel, I mean, it can have an an emotional aspect. It can even have something that feels a little marketing-ish, as long as it's genuine, as long as it's real, as long as you're going to deliver it, as long as you're going to live it 24-7. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This gets into a a related but perhaps slightly uh, orthogonal topic about caring about your who. I think it's so important to pick a target market or an ideal buyer or a specific, whether you define it by vertical like dentists or a horizontal like people who need a MySQL expert or you do it by a demographic like 55-year-old women in New York City or uh, a psychographic like environmental advocates or something like that. It needs to be so s- specific enough that it's going to trigger a Rolodex moment in pretty much everybody you talk to. Like, oh, I, I know a teacher. or I know a 55-year-old mom in New York City or whatever it is. It needs to be specific, not like people or businesses. That's way too general to trigger any kind of connection. Okay, so I think that's so important that I've been saying for a long time that you you'd be better off picking one at random than not picking one and just saying businesses or people. What I've come to find over the years is that reliably, when somebody does that, they just pick one, they, like at random, not because like, oh, I care about like people who are in martial arts studios or something. When they do that, they have a tendency to to not commit, to not believe it, to sabotage the way that they talk about it. They're always sort of sort of second-guessing their own statements and adding caveats and that sort of thing. It, it sucks all the genuineness out of it. And it, they have a tendency to quit.
1: I was listening to you saying this, and a part of me is cringing at the thought of somebody doing that. It's I believe that the way you pick your specialty is you start with what you really love to do, and for whom you love to do it. And yes, there has to be a market for it. And you have to have the talent and the experience. You can build experience. You can even build talent. But you've got to have some going in. But if you don't start from what you're really good at and love to do, it's got to be both because there might be things you've done for years and you're kind of like, no, if I'm going to invest in my own business, I don't want to do that thing that I used to do. I want to do this new thing, but you've got to, it just has to come from who you are or you're never going to feel it. You're not going to care about those people.
0: Right. Yeah. And I get pushed back on this. People that say, you can't tell me that everybody running a business out there isn't, you know, passionate about the people they help. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's true. I, I don't think the guy that runs my dry cleaner necessarily cares about his client. He, he maybe does, maybe doesn't. I wouldn't even know you could say it bleeds through and whatever, but I'm sure that there are plenty of people out there who approach their consulting as a job, maybe even a career, but not a calling. And do they get by? Yeah, probably. Who wants to work with those people though? Yeah, but though? who wants to, right? Yeah. Like who wants to do that? Like talking to folks, I'm like, you care about nobody? Like really there's nobody. <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't be in a service business.
1: Yeah, that maybe there's therapy for that one.
0: <laughs> I, I honestly think, but see, I don't believe I don't believe that. In you know, nine times out of ten, I do not believe that that's the case with people who are functioning adults. What I really think it is is that it's a truncation of I don't care about anybody who can afford me, because what ends up happening is when I finally drag it out of somebody, they're like, oh well, I would love to help nonprofits, but they can't afford me. Or I would love to help teachers, but they can't afford me. And I'm like, well, that's a separate problem. Like we can figure out how to do that. Maybe they can't afford your high ticket consulting services, but they could probably afford a class or they could probably pay $10 to attend a workshop, you know, and get a thousand people to come to a workshop. It's That's a question of like, what are you going to offer them? But it starts with who do you want to serve? And then you can package up your expertise in some way at some price point where it's leveraged and they can afford it and you can make a profit to like continue to fund your mission going forward. But the problem I find is that people tend to just self edit, you know, I it's like, oh, well, who do you want to help? Yeah, nobody. Really? Well, some some people, but they're all broke. It's like, all right, well let's figure out what we could offer them that would help them. It's a pretty big exercise to come at it from that direction, but long term, whatever, you figure out how to like cover the gap in the meantime with regular whatever you've been doing. But To me, that is like, everything starts to fall in place. It feels like everything starts to fall in place. Word of mouth starts to happen like magic. Ideas come to you like magic. New leads come to you like magic. New ideas from those people talking to you come to you like magic. It all starts, it just starts to click and you're like, oh wow, this is what it's supposed to feel like, it's not supposed to be like me pushing this rope all the time. Like and just like nothing clicking and and nobody referring me, nobody sharing my website, nobody engaging with my blog posts or my social media feed. Everything changes. It just it's like night and day. And the word that everybody uses when they finally do it, they're like they're like it's like magic. I was talking to a cab, <laughs> cab driver. You know, the ca- I landed from the airport and I was talking to the cab driver and he's like, oh, that's what my mom does. I should put you guys in touch. It's like it's unbelievable. It just starts to work like magic.
1: I want to come back to the word help because I think the exercise, it's helpful to use the word help. Who do you help? Who do you make better? Who do you improve their situation? But when we're crafting or when you're crafting the actual statement, I think it should ideally not have help in it. And I only say that because help is a very soft word in terms of when you're marketing to people. Now, if you're marketing to a helping profession, that's different. But if you're marketing to business people, you probably want to find a a more powerful word than help, even though that's what's going to get you typically going to get you motivated to decide who you want to serve.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Sometimes the word help doesn't make the final edit. Yeah. Totally agree with that.
1: Yeah. I like it psychologically.
0: Yeah. Sometimes with doesn't make the final edit either. It also has to do with your confidence. Like, if you're going to take help out of there or put something more powerful in, it requires like a level of confidence in your expertise, which is a good thing. So, yeah, definitely true. Help and with might both disappear and it could boil down to like, you could even flip it around. We increase profits for software developers, period. It doesn't have to like follow the format to the end. It's just the exercise, the template for the exercise.
1: Yeah, the template's key. I mean, I use the word craft. On my website, when I talk about brand, because I was trying to come up with a word that showed that it was individual and carefully thought out and not random. And, and it took me a long time to come up with the word craft. I mean, like, <laughs> come on. Like, how, how complicated is that? But it does. It takes a while to find the right words. But get the, get the feeling first, and the words will come. The feeling is more important than the words for to get you motivated and started and and talking to people about what you do.
0: Right. It it encapsulates the hypothesis, which you can then validate. You can go test or or invalidate. You can test test the hypothesis, and people might say it back to you with different words, and you're like, oh, that that's how I should say it. That's that's the perfect way to say it. And and it's the um, structure. It's a structure that just gets you started, and then you can um, once it's clicking. I mean. I'm not going to give you a C for changing the words around. <laughs> if your name is spreading and it's working, then great.
1: Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more.
0: There's a couple of things I do like to mention when I'm talking about XYPS, which is what it's not. It's not, I help X with Y in terms of, or I do X for Y. So it's not, I do copywriting for teachers because that's your—that's what you do. That's your activities. That's you focused. You want to be, or it's, it's me focused. If I'm the person writing the statement, it's focused on myself. It's inward focused. It's not focused on the teachers, and you're you're forcing the teachers to connect the dots between what copywriting could do for them, which is not probably obvious to a teacher or or software development. I code for teachers. It's like, well, why do they want that? What outcome would you deliver? Another. Anti-pattern would be, you know, I help teachers with coding. Like, well, what does that mean?
1: What? Yeah. Like, yeah what?
0: <laughs> I help teachers with copywriting. Like, mm, no. So that can kind of masquerade. It's like you really want the letter Y in the statement. You want the Y to be an outcome that they want, an outcome that they know they want. So it would be something that they'll immediately recognize and immediately be like, how do you do that? And you can say, well, you know, that I use copywriting to do blah, 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 blah. And then you can get into that what you might actually do, what products and services you offer. But you've created that question in their mind.
1: Well, yeah, because part of the problem is you d- you don't want to make the, the your potential client or the person you're talking to do all the work, right? Your job is to connect the dots. Because if you can't connect the dots, how are they supposed to? <laughs> right.
0: right? I mean, right. that's how
1: I look at it. It's You got to make things easier for people. And if you can... Possibly put yourself in their shoes and imagine what they're thinking about and by asking questions you can get there and then you do the work for them and then you see that aha look in their eyes.
0: So now another thing that it's not that looks similar is like, and this is actually not a terrible positioning exercise to do it like this, but it's not what I'm talking about, which is I'm like X but Y. So it's like I'm like Uber for professional photography, which is a positioning exercise that I think I first read about in Crossing the Chasm, uh, which is a great book. And the idea is that you draw a comparison to something that you're sure that your target buyer, your ideal buyer is familiar with, and then you indicate how you're like that, but different in an important way. So we're like Uber, but nice, you know, it's Lyft or, you know, whatever it might be. So assuming that the, your ideal buyer is familiar with the sort of 400 pound gorilla, and then you're good about articulating how you differ, it like immediately, it creates a hook in the person's brain and immediately hangs your coat on it, assuming someone else is not doing it. That's not what I'm talking about. I I don't think that's a bad approach, especially for like a software product, which is what the book's about. But it's not the same thing I'm talking about here.
1: It's a little bit like uh, what I call your brand neighborhood. I try to get my clients to think about the brands that they love. And there's usually, if I look at enough of them, there's usually a theme there. Like someone will say, you know, I love Apple. Well, why? Because I love the clean design. I love the attention to detail. And then they might pick, I don't know, some diamond retailer. And we talk about that. So it's like, it's, you don't always have to be the Porsche. You might be the Volkswagen, but for really good reasons. I think it helps people that get stuck to kind of think about, am I like a tree? To go through that exercise, it gives them something concrete to compare to and to start thinking about how we market ourselves using some of the techniques that big brands have used for decades.
0: Yeah, I really like that. I like that a lot because let's say I'm working with a student and they they did that exercise and they said, Apple, and then they're doing a whole bunch of things to position themselves as like the cheap option or they're doing things that aren't luxury or they're doing things that are overly compromised. Be like would would Apple do this? And the obvious answer is no, Apple wouldn't do that. Apple's very or has been very much like the think different and like we're not we are not for everybody. I mean, it Mm -hmm. seems like that's changing now, but for for a long time, (laughs) they were like, no, we are the premium option. If you're the type of person who buys premium things, then we're the only option. And if you aren't the type of person that buys premium things, we're not interested in you. It's strong. You know, it's very strong. And it's hard for people to be that willing to walk away from the business, basically.
1: Yeah. Well, there's an eliteness to it. You literally have to... Have to think about that at all times, and you have to balance it with being human, right? <laughs> so it's not like, oh, you people are not good enough for me, and you don't get that vibe from Apple. But you get this firm price. You have options that are clearly on the high end, and it doesn't seem to bother them if people walk away.
0: Right? Yeah. If you don't, if you don't want a Mercedes, then go buy something else. Like they don't, they don't try and also sell you like a Hyundai.
1: No. No. And, and retail is a good place to look at, for examples, of companies that sell based on discounts. Bloomingdale's got into that trouble where there's always a sale. So they've literally trained their customers not to buy unless something's on sale. That's a, that's a tough model. I mean, that's a race to the bottom.
0: If I was working with a student, and I was like, well, what brands do you identify with? And they said, Amazon. They'd be like, okay. So then maybe they do want to be the local, they're going to do volume, they're going to have small margins, but they're going to make it up somehow. I don't know how, it's you know, a consultant would do that. It'd be pretty tricky.
1: Efficiency, right? Yeah. 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 You're going to have other people doing things for a low rate. Maybe you'd offshore them. Well, maybe, maybe not, but.
0: Yeah. But for a long time, Amazon was <laughs> not in the same ballpark as Apple in terms of design and branding and, and any of that. They were just like the cheapest one. You know, still
1: aren't. Still aren't. Yeah, they're still not, but it's
0: a lot better than it used to be, but it's still a garage sale over there. But yeah, but if someone said that to me, then I'd be like, okay, I can work with that. That's very uh, sort of brand neighborhood, I think you called it. Mm-hmm. Yep. That that definitely um, would give me a lot of direction.
1: The exercise that I use, brand neighborhood is also people in your space. Somebody who's a designer can say, oh, you know, I, I want to look like, what idea? I want to look. I want to look like this. I want to feel like this. But me. And part of the conversation you can have, whether it's with yourself or, or with somebody like Jonathan or myself that you're working with, is you can have that conversation that says, "Okay, how do I differ? What about this is me? And how can I weave that in? Because you don't want to be like somebody else. But there may be aspects of that brand that." you aspire to. And I think a lot of us have have internalized it anyway. When I started my first consulting firm, I swear the first two months, it was like I was making a list of everything that I wanted to do differently than the firm I'd come from. And I loved that firm. I was there for 10 years. I was a partner. There was a lot of things I liked about it. But to leave and start something new, there were things I wanted to be dramatically different. And it's it was a really helpful exercise.
0: Yeah, I can imagine.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I had fun with that list.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So as we're talking about that, it's like obviously you don't want to, especially designers, you don't want to copy IDEO or anybody, Frog, whatever. There's another thing too to that when you're saying like, okay, I want to be like Apple or IDEO or or, you know that that's the feeling that I want to get across. Is that assuming that you're starting out, you know, maybe you're a, a newer designer. Here's the pushback I get. It's like, well, Ido doesn't have an X Y positioning statement. They don't even have a laser focus positioning statement. They're like complete generalists, or at least you'd think so from looking at their website. And I'm like, well, that's true. You're right, but they're at a very different stage. And <laughs> the stuff that really? got them, <laughs> the stuff that got them there, first of all, might not have been very effective, and they just slogged it out for twenty or thirty years, or they did something like this way back then. And over time, it was something, and then they broadened and broadened and broadened because they were getting the leads, they were getting the jobs, they were they were closing the deals. Because eventually, one of the things that you'll see on all of these successful companies that people who are just starting out want to emulate, one thing you'll always see is a huge list of really impressive clients that they've worked with, and. That to me becomes the thing that attracts new clients. They're like, they see Nike, they see Starbucks, they see Apple and they think we're Uber just starting out. We want to be on that list. We want to do this stuff that those companies did. So they get IDO and they expect to pay a ton of money and they trust that, that it's going to be a good investment. So I'm just like responding to a thought that I know crops into people's minds is like, well, all of these successful companies, I don't see their XY positioning statement anywhere. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's you picking up the magnifying glass at the beginning of your career to catch the kindling on fire, the tinder on fire. And once it's burning and you can add more fuel, more fuel, more fuel, you can stay focused if you want. I don't think you need to after a while. I've certainly seen that happen with me where I was hyper focused on independent software developers for year, a couple of years, at least maybe more than that. But after a while you start to attract designers and copywriters and photographers and even some lawyers and accountants and other people who build by the hour. And that's fine. You can put the magnifying glass down and just sit back and throw logs on there. But to start out, if you're not like, here's the thing, if you're not getting a lot of leads, you've got a problem. So... This is a solution to that problem. If you can articulate a very clear value proposition that people understand, makes them ask, "Oh, how do you do that?" And introduce you to other. I should introduce you to this person. You're getting word of mouth and referrals and all that stuff. It makes it very easy for people to help you.
1: Well, and that's where y- you just have to have some courage. I mean, we all do, right? Because it feels really scary to put yourself out there as something that feels specialized but that is the way to get attention especially now because people have so many choices and we're all bombarded with so much communication you've got to find a way to break through in a way that's genuine to you and the market you serve
0: yeah courage it takes courage because it feels like it feels counterintuitive like how am i going to get more clients by focusing on a, few, a smaller segment and it's just i'm just telling you it's counterintuitive it works
1: Sometimes it helps if you look at not the big companies, but somebody who's seemingly small, and your attention is riveted by them, by what they do. There are messages in that, whether it's that they've got the most amazing copy in their emails, or they have these unbelievable images in their Instagram account. But there's something about them that pulls you toward them. And and we all need that. But it has to be genuine, I'm not going to commit to doing beautiful images on, on Instagram if I don't like to do it. I can maybe get the first month's worth up there, but after that, I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. But if you're a designer, you're a photographer, you know, you can tell stories with images in ways that that break out from the pack.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of when I had pro photography done for my consulting site, and I put on a suit coat, and I was just like... This is, this is a lie. <laughs>
1: we had that whole conversation yeah. about the suit coat. Yeah, I think I
0: think we had it on the. Sh- I'm pretty sure we talked about it on the show. But I was just I think like, we did. I can't. No, nah, it's wrong. I got to throw these out.
1: Yes, you, you. You. I think you promised that you would let me know if you were ever doing another photography session, and I'll I'll help you choose the right outfit. <laughs>
0: yeah, I will take you up on that. But I just took that website down, so I didn't need to replace them. Although I I would replace them if I was going to do that. But I'll let you know if I. <clears throat>
1: We'll Skype your closet.
0: there. Oh, that won't take long. <laughs> I have a pile of black T-shirts and jeans. End of story. Well, there you go. There you go.
1: You know what to wear then.
0: And flannel shirts.
1: Uh, yeah. Notice I stopped there. Black yeah. T-shirt is better than the flannel,
0: right? Do we leave a stone unturned here?
1: Were there any other? It's not statements about the X Y positioning statement.
0: Uh, those are the big ones. The sneaking your discipline in there. That's a huge one. Everybody tries to do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other one is like, I'm like this, but they're not the same thing. I think both are better than nothing. Better than like I do anything for anybody that needs what I do. That's terrible. But that's not what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. Just one more thought, I think. I mean, this sounds so basic, but I think it's important is that when you're struggling with this, make a list of everybody that you've worked with. If you're new to consulting, make the list from the jobs you had before because you know who you like to work with. So you say, oh, I love working with Sally. Well, why? Because she gave me strategic direction and then she left me alone. Or because we had this amazing communication amongst the team. We had these regular sessions where we talked about how we were unrolling program X Make the list, because sometimes you just need to see it so your eyes can make the connection first, and then your brain will click in.
0: Yeah, that's one of the, the suggestions I make uh, in the blog post about this, which is to, if, you, if you're having a hard time with it, go back through your client list and just make an XY positioning statement for each project you, you've ever done. I help uh, presidents from credit unions convince their board to fund mobile innovation Okay, <laughs> that's just one project I've done. I could go down a list. I could probably make fifty like that, and then like look at it, and be like, which one? Which ones of these click with me? Which ones of these would I want to keep doing? Who could I put this in front of to see if it clicks and gets them asking how?
1: Yeah, and then sort of sidebar, but you were talking earlier about the client lists and how impressive those are once a, an organization has been developed to a certain point. I mean, I go back to I think it's a Seth Godinism: people like us. Do things like this, right? So it's it's people like us, meaning the client that's looking at your site, work with people like. Wait, I've got my us is mixed up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. Like, you're right. People
1: like me work with people like us. Maybe that's a way to say it. Yeah, is it's it,
0: a, a bunch yeah. of a feather.
1: It's even a tighter concept than brand neighborhood because these are folks you've actually worked with. But that starts to tell a story. All by itself. And if you can do it with visuals on your website, like a logo, a a well known logo, mind you, or if you're a designer, logos that you've created for those companies, but that visual is super impressive in a nanosecond.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, it immediately gets the message across. All right. So I can hear the Indians getting restless downstairs. (laughs) So I should wrap up. (laughs) All right. Well, we can wrap it up there. Okay. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark.
1: And I'm Michelle Moulton.
0: And we hope you join us again next time for The Business of Authority. Bye.
1: Bye Bye-bye.